In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The first reading for the seventh Sunday of Easter is from Acts chapter 1. Then they went back to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, as it was called. It's near Jerusalem, only half a mile away. When they came into the city, they went to the second floor room where they were staying. Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. With one mind these all kept praying together. With them were the women, including Jesus' mother Mary and his brothers. In those days Peter got up among the disciples, a crowd of them was there, about 120, and he said, Brothers, long ago the Holy Spirit spoke through David about Judas, who led the men that arrested Jesus, and what he wrote had to come true. Judas was one of us and was given a share in the work we're doing. With the money he got for his crime, he bought a piece of land, and falling headfirst, he burst in the middle, and all his intestines poured out. Everyone living in Jerusalem heard about it, and so that piece of land is called Akadema in their language. The word means place of blood. It is written in the book of Psalms, His home should be deserted, and no one should live there. And someone else should take over his office. Then someone should be added to our number as a witness of his resurrection. He should be one of these men who went with us all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. From John's baptism to the day he was taken up from us. The disciples named two. Joseph called Barsabbas, he was also called Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show us which of these two you have chosen to serve in this office of apostle, which Judas left to go where he belonged. They provided lots for them. And so Matthias was chosen and added to the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is from 1 Peter chapters 4 and 5. Dear friends, don't be surprised that you are being tested by a fiery trial as though something strange were happening to you. But as you share Christ's sufferings, be happy so that you will also be full of joy when His glory will be revealed. If you're insulted now for the name of Christ, you're happy because the Spirit of glory and power, the Spirit of God, is resting on you. Of course, none of you should suffer as a murderer, a thief, a criminal are one who meddles in the affairs of others. 
But if you suffer for being a Christian, don't feel ashamed, but praise God with that name. It is time for the judgment to start in God's temple. But if it is starting with us, how will it end for those who refuse to listen to God's good news? If it is hard for a righteous person to be saved, what will happen to the ungodly and the sinner? So you too, who suffer as God wants you to suffer, entrust yourselves to your faithful creator and keep on doing good. Humble yourselves then under God's mighty hand so that he may honor you at the right time. Turn all your worry over to him because he cares for you. Keep a clear head and watch. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be strong in your faith and resist him, knowing that your fellow Christians in the world are going through the same kind of suffering. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you in Christ Jesus to share his everlasting glory, will make you perfect, firm, and strong. He has the power forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 17th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. After saying this, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son so that your Son will glorify you, since you have given him authority over all men to give everlasting life to all whom you gave him. This is everlasting life, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I have glorified you on earth, by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me at your side with the glory I had with you before the world began. I made your name known to the people that you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything you gave me comes from you because I gave them the message you gave me and they have accepted it and learned the truth that I came from you and have believed you sent me. I pray for them. I don't pray for the world, but for those you gave me because they are yours. All that is mine is yours and what is yours is mine and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you gave me, so that they will be one as we are one. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Our sermon text today is our gospel reading. Grace and peace from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Amen. How come Martin Luther wasn't burned at the stake? Only 100 years earlier, a man named John Huss had said similar things as Luther had said, and he was burned at the stake. He was condemned as a heretic. In fact, an opponent of Luther worked to get Luther labeled as a Hussite, as a heretic. So what stood in the way of Luther being killed? The advocacy and intercession of Frederick the Wise. Frederick stood as an advocate for Luther, even interceding for Luther. At the Diet of Worms, that is a meeting of German princes with the Holy Roman Emperor, at this diet, Luther was confirmed as a heretic before the emperor. By all rights, he should have been arrested and burned at the stake right there. The only reason Luther was granted safe passage home was because Frederick the Wise had arranged such beforehand. Before the diet happened, he had secured this promise of safe passage. He had interceded for Luther and fought for the right of Luther and Germans to have a fair discussion and debate of the matter. Frederick worked in a number of ways to intercede for Luther, and through such he helped preserve Luther's life. Have you ever had such an advocate and intercessor? Oftentimes, parents are such advocates and intercessors for their children. My mother had to step in on behalf of my sister when it came to school. At that time, asthma wasn't as recognized as it is today. And at least one PE teacher insisted on running her like everybody else because she thought my sister was lazy or that her asthma wasn't really that bad or wasn't real. My mom had to step in and intercede for her and be her advocate in getting the teachers to recognize how her asthma really did limit her. In Scripture, several biblical figures are recognized as advocates or intercessors who speak to God on behalf of others. Abraham spoke on behalf of the righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. On a number of occasions, Moses interceded for the people of Israel after they sinned. I mean, on the mountain of Sinai, Moses was dwelling with God, receiving from God the commands and instructions of the Lord. When God said, it's time for you to go down because the people have sinned and they've, they've gone astray. They've built a golden calf. And he asks that Moses move out of the way, essentially, so that he can strike the people down in his anger. 
He's ready to kill them. And he promises Moses that he'll make Moses into a great nation. After all, the people have departed from what God has told them to do and what they had agreed to do. And it hasn't been even 40 days yet. And they have gone away from God's word. But Moses there intercedes for the people. He comes for the Lord and he begs for mercy. He points out how God's reputation is on the line and how how this would look before the Egyptians. And he reminds God of his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How he promised to bring the descendants of Israel into the promised land. So God relents. He has mercy. He doesn't strike them all down all at one time. Begin anew. But this problem doesn't go away. The Israelites continue to to sin and rebel against God. I mean, even on the cusp of coming into the promised land. They're about to enter in. And 12 spies had gone in, one from each tribe, and they've gone in and they've scouted out the land and they bring back a report and 10 of them say, it's just not going to happen. We can't do it. These, these people are so huge. We will never defeat them. We can't do it. Two of the spies say, yes, yes, we can do it. God will lead us to victory. If he's pleased with us, he will deliver us. But the people listened to those with a bad report and they rebel. They they begin speaking against God and against Moses and Aaron and and, and speaking against them that they've come out, they've brought them out to kill them. And they, they think about even now, let's get a new leader to lead us back to Egypt. We were much safer in Egypt. But the deal is, God is angry now that these people have rebelled once again. He's angry that they have seen who he is. They've seen his signs and yet they still do not believe. Why do they not believe? And so he's ready to strike them down. He is ready to destroy them. He tells Moses he's ready to wipe them all out and he'll make a greater nation out of him, out of Moses and his descendants. But Moses once again pleads for the Israelites. He cites God's reputation, but he also calls upon God to show mercy because of who he is. As the God who forgives. As the God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He asked God to be God. And God relents. 
when the people complained. Later on also, about how it took so long to get to the promised land and they had to go this extra way and they complained about the food they ate against Moses and God. God sent snakes among them and they bit them and they were dying. And they repented. They turned back to the Lord. And God showed them mercy. He showed them forgiveness. He showed them life by creating a way out for them. Moses went to God and pleaded for them once again. And God gave them a snake on a pole, which they looked at, they would have forgiveness and life. Moses is a preeminent example of an intercessor, but there are others. Solomon prayed for the people of Israel at the dedication of the temple. He prayed for those there and those who would come to the temple for foreigners and for, for Israelites in the future. The high priest would regularly come before God and plead for God's forgiveness regarding the evils of the people. And many of the prophets like Isaiah and Amos called upon God to forgive the people or to forego some sort of punishment. Today in our gospel text, we see that Jesus is pleading for the disciples and us. Jesus is advocating for his people before God the Father. Jesus is praying and interceding for his own, whom the Father has given to him. And we certainly need this prayer. As Jesus says, he is not in the world anymore. He has left, but we are still in the world. We who are his own remain in this world that is hostile to God, we need what Jesus prays here. He prays to be glorified. He prays for his people to be protected by the Father's words and to continue walking in that word. He prays for his own to remain in faith and to be united in the triune God. He prays that his church would know the true God and thus have eternal life. Jesus prays for essentially two things. He prays for the well-being of his disciples and he prays for God the Father's glory. Even where and when Jesus is praying for his own glory, he's asking that the Father do this so that by Jesus' glory, the Father would be glorified. Jesus' primary concern is loving the Father and loving us. This prayer for our benefit is fulfilled in Jesus' death on the cross his resurrection, and our baptism. Jesus is glorified on the cross. Here we come to know him and the Father. Here we see what kind of God we have. On the cross, the Father's promises are fulfilled. On the cross, sin is thrown down and defeated. On the cross, forgiveness is won for us 
and we are drawn in closer to him. You are his now. You have been redeemed on the cross. He claimed you. He rose to keep you as his own. He rose to bring you life, and he ascended to eventually take you out of this world of sin and death. Already you have been set apart from this world. Though you remain in it, you are no longer a part of it. You've been redeemed from the world and set aside as his own precious and beloved people. You've been washed in his blood and cleansed in those holy waters where his word and promises were connected to you. He brought you together as his church, his one people. You are blessed beyond all measure. For Jesus' advocacy for us hasn't stopped. Even though he has ascended, he continues to fulfill this role. He's ever speaking to God the Father on our behalf. He continues to plead for you and me. He calls for our forgiveness and our preservation. He asks that we would grow in faith and be strengthened for what lies ahead. He asks for whatever would be for our benefit, that we might remain in faith until our dying day. How great indeed is his love and care for us. How great is this prayer and his continuing prayers. I mean, just consider our own prayers. Our prayers falter so frequently. We forget to pray. We pray mindlessly. We pray fervently for a time, but then we pray less often. Even when the needs increase and we find ourselves with more time, prayer seems to be our last thought. Almost like a last moment, desperate 50-yard pass with only seconds left in the game. Plus, our prayers aren't always formed by God's word or out of our devotions. Instead, they often come from our desires and not from our Lord's desires for us. Rather than praying in Jesus' name, that is, based on his word and why he died for us, we pray based on what we want and what we hope to obtain. Our prayers are often prayed for our own benefit. Sinners that we are, we deserve death. We don't deserve redemption or help. We don't deserve forgiveness or resurrection. We deserve hell. But our advocate Jesus is praying for you and me. He stands before the Father and says, Yes, they have sinned. They're guilty of breaking our commands. This is true. But I have bled for them already. Their sins have been paid. They're free. Don't hold their sins against them. And God doesn't. You've been set free. You've been forgiven. Today, you can depart in peace. The peace of Jesus, who stands for you and on your behalf. Jesus has stood up for you. He has prayed for you. He has been your intercessor. He delivers for you. And not only does he deliver forgiveness, he brings you his very own life. He gives you himself. 
And so you have eternal life. This new life replaces your old life. Your old self has been crucified and died. You've been raised a new child of God. You've been raised into his life and into his mold. You've been formed in his word and in him, for he keeps you in his name. Not only are you protected and safe, but you are free to live as our Lord does. You're free to advocate for those who can't and who need you. You can speak on behalf of the refugee, the homeless, and the poor. You can stand up for the oppressed and for the unborn. You can defend the defenseless. Our advocacy for others is born of His Thus, we stand up for others, knowing that our Lord has stood up for us, that he has been our advocate and is still standing in heaven, even now advocating for you and me. His love continues, and so does his work for you and me. The peace of God which passes understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. All readings prior to the sermon come from an American translation of the Bible.